All right, Judges chapter number 12. Judges chapter number 12, where we're going to be tonight. Um, last Sunday night, uh, my brother-in-law Rex was here, preached uh, uh, Satan's back door to the home. And uh, if you uh, were not able to be here and uh, hear that message, it is up on sermon audio and things like that. You can listen to those things. Um, that's what we have them for. And uh, what a blessing. I got the download report for sermon audio last month on how many sermons were downloaded off of our sermon audio thing there was 536 sermons downloaded um and there was 39 different states and 27 different countries downloaded messages and so it's a tool you never know what the lord's doing with uh with the word of god as it goes out and people are able to listen and hear from all across the world and uh, so what a blessing that is and uh, we're just going to keep preaching truth uh, for that is what sets men free. And uh, so hopefully we're going to hear one day when we stand in heaven, uh, people that have trusted Christ as their Savior, uh, just from listening to a sermon uh, from Faith Baptist Church. And so what a blessing. But you can get on that sermon audio and listen to that. Or if you get on our church website, you can go to the YouTube link on there or the watch link on there and watch it. But uh, two weeks ago, we were uh, there in chapter number 11. Um, and we talked about conquering our circumstances and uh, the vow that Jephthah made. Uh, remember, and he had to, uh, he ended up sacrificing his daughter because he made a vow to the Lord uh, and all those things. Well, here we are in Judges chapter number 12. We're going to come across a very familiar group of people that we talked about in Judges chapter number 8 and different things where uh, when Gideon uh, was uh, fighting the battle there against the Midianites and all those, if you remember the Ephraimites. And those Ephraimites were always wanting to get the credit uh, for things. They, they didn't want to join the battle, but they wanted to uh, get the credit for things. And uh, we had the same situation happen here with Jephthah. When he was going to battle and things, he had called Ephraim to help him, and they would not come. And then when he gets the victory and he gets the spoils, Ephraim decides that uh, they want part of it, and they're upset that they didn't get any of the spoils, but they didn't want to do the work. So we're going to touch on some of this stuff uh, here tonight. We're going to talk about some of these things I want to share with you. Um, we're going to read some verses uh, through all of this, and then we're going to go through the message this evening. Okay, Judges chapter number 12, starting in verse number 1. It says, And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, and went northward, and said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon, and didst, not, uh, and didst not call us to go with thee? We will burn thine house upon thee with fire. And Jephthah said unto them, I and my people were at a great strife in the children, uh, with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, ye delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that ye delivered me not, I put my life in my hands, and passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore, then are ye come up unto me this day to fight against me? Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim. And the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, Ye Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. And the Gileadites took the passage of Jordan before the, uh, before the Ephraimites. And it was so that when the Ephraimites were escaped, uh, uh, which were escaped, said, Let me go over, that the men of Gilead said unto him, Art thou an Ephraimite? If he said nay, then said they unto him, Say now, uh, Shibboleth. And he said, uh, Sibboleth. And he could not frame to pronounce it right. And they took him and slew him at the passage of Jordan. And there fell, that time of the Ephraimites, forty and two thousand. Forty and two thousand people died. Now Ephraim was one that wanted to get the credit for things. They wanted uh, all of these things to do. But I'm going to preach to you tonight about our responsibilities in the work of God. Our responsibilities in the work of God. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your house tonight. Lord, I stand where the arm of the flesh will fail me. I need your help and I need your touch this evening. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you please to be thick in this place. Do what only you can do. Lord, I ask you please to uh, just place your hedge of protection about our church. Lord, I ask you please to just uh, do a mighty work in this place. Thank you for the visitors that we've had recently. Thank you for the people that have joined the church. Lord, four out of the last five Sundays we've had families join the church. And what a blessing 
that is. And Lord, I just pray that that will continue, that we'll continue to press on. We'll see more souls saved and more lives changed and people just uh, getting involved and doing things for you. And Lord, that this year we may see mountains moved and Lord, just the impossible things happen. And uh, Lord, we'll give you the praise and glory for it. If there's any here tonight that do not know you as our personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you today and we'll give you the praise, the honor and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to talk to you about our, our, our responsibilities in the work of the Lord. And we're going to talk about some of these things. If you remember when uh, uh, Gideon fought against the Midianites there and he went to battle and all these things, then the Ephraimites frowned upon the fact that they didn't get any of the spoils. And uh, so Gideon, was, he was wise in what he said. And he told him, he said, remember, you had, uh, you had taken Oreb and Zeb and you, uh, you got the chief of the captains of, uh, of all of them. And they, they were very proud. And they said, yes, that, that's us. We did do that. And they had this... Uh, they just puffed up themselves and it all looked uh, like wonderful that they were doing this. So it, their, their tempers were appeased during this time. But Jephthah was a different type of person. Jephthah didn't respond the same way that uh, Gideon did. Gideon was uh, a different type of leader. And Jephthah, you know, was one that he wanted to follow after the Lord and do what was right. And even though he was considered an outcast of his family, he still didn't allow his circumstances to stop him from doing right. We even mentioned that this morning that we can't allow our past to hinder us from serving God. We got to keep on going forward. But their anger and their jealousy uh, was uh, willing to go out against their brothers and fight against their brothers. And Ephraim now is gathered in a place and they're threatening Jephthah. And they're trying to tell Jephthah that we want some of the spoils. And how come when you fought this battle, you didn't call us and uh, we weren't able to be there to help you? And Jephthah said, hold on a second. And I'm paraphrasing this, isn't it? Word for word. But he said, hold on a second. He said, no, we went to battle against Ammon. And when we went to battle against them, he said, I called for you and you didn't come and help us to win the battle. So we had to go and fight against uh, the enemy and we uh, took our life into our hands and we fought against them and the Lord delivered them into our hand. He said, and you weren't anywhere to be found. And now you're going to come and you want to fight against me and you want to rise up against us and you want to uh, do uh, uh, get uh, the credit for everything that's been done in the work. And so he said, no, I don't think so. And he goes to battle against them. And it says there in verse number 6 that the Ephraimites lost 42,000 men. You think about that, 42,000 casualties because they weren't willing to get involved in the work. They wanted to sit there and gripe and complain. They wanted to sit there and criticize the work that was being done. They wanted the, uh, the fruits of the labor, but they weren't willing to do the labor that was involved to produce the fruit. They didn't want to see all of that. And in their anger and in their jealousy, they are armed for war against their brothers. And this was the constant pattern of this tribe of Ephraim. They were always happy to gather the spoils. They were quick to defend their rights and their privileges. They had no, state, uh, no taste for battle and they were always brave after the battle. They were the type of people that once the battle was over, they stood up and said, yeah, I thought so. You know, that was kind of them puffing their chest out after the battle. You know, after the, the enemy was uh, subdued and after the, the battle was done, they were the type of people that began to talk that big talk. See, we won this battle. We fought this fight. They were those ones that stuck their chest out after the, the fact and said, hey, we're somebody special. That's how Ephraim was. The Ephraimites were always ready to fight with their brother tribes, but not with their enemies. You know, isn't it amazing that that's such a picture of the church today? We're wanting to pick fights with our brothers and sisters in Christ inside the church over petty, stupid little things, but we're not willing to fight the enemy that's on the outside. We're not willing to fight against Satan. They were unwilling to accept their responsibilities. They were unwilling to answer the call when they were called to fight the battle. And the Ephraimites are a picture of many carnal, lazy, lukewarm Christians today. They're a picture of a lot of people that claim to be uh, children of God that don't want to uh, live. The Bible says uh, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And, but there's a lot of people trying to fight a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. 
And, you know, we can't fight a spiritual battle with fleshly weapons. We have to be armed with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have to take on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand in that evil day and having done all to stand. And he tells us to stand therefore. And he tells us to have our loins girt about with truth and on that breastplate of righteousness and our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and of the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as we think about all those things, Ephraim wasn't a picture of that type of believer. Ephraim wasn't a picture of that type of person willing to step up to their responsibilities that God had for them. They were content to enjoy uh, the blessings of the Lord, but they didn't want to do what it took to receive the blessings. They were complacent in letting others confront the lost and witnessing and serving in the church and going to the mission field and cleaning the building and visiting and inviting others to church and giving to the Lord. They were complacent in those things. They were willing to let other people do that because that's the hard work that needs to be done. They were critical and condemned those who were working to get the job done. You know, as I look at Ephraim, I look at uh, the churches in our nation today. And that's what we find is we find uh, 90% of the work being done by 10% of the people. Or 100% of the work being done by 10% of the people. And then we we wonder why the world is so uh, just destroying families and all that. Because there's a lot of Ephraimites sitting in our churches today that don't want to step up to their responsibility and go when God says to go. And do what God says to do. Now listen, I am glad for Faith Baptist Church, don't get me wrong. I'm glad for people we have that sign up, that do things, that serve, that help, and do those things. But guess what? We need more. We need more. We need more people to say, Lord, here am I, use me. Not, Lord, there are they, use them. That's how the Ephraimites were. They were the ones that raised their hand and said, Lord, they're willing, please send them. That's how Ephraim was. And then when the battle was won and the victory was there and they received the spoils and the blessings of God poured down, they said, how come you didn't let us help? How come we weren't involved? How come you guys got the blessings and we didn't get them? And they always wanted to have the the spoils and they wanted the blessings of God, but they didn't want the work that came with it. You know, the Bible says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. See, I, when I was at college, I remember Pastor Sexton preaching a message called uh, Keep the Ox and Clean the Crib. And he talked about how uh, a lot of people, they want a clean crib because it looks nice and it looks beautiful. And listen, I think we ought to have a, a presentable spirit. When people come in this building, they ought to see that we care about what, what we have here. They ought to see that. But the fact of the matter is, if we have bus kids that come around, we have people that aren't uh, used to being in church, guess what? There's going to be some stuff that gets torn up. There's going to be some stuff that gets damaged. There's going to be things that happen like that. And we're going to have to just go and have laborers just to clean it up and be glad that they're here and just be excited about those things. Why? Because where there's an ox, there's a dirty crib. Where things are going forward and there's work being done, there's a job to do to clean up afterwards. But we always want the clean crib, we want all that, but we don't want the ox. And the fact of the matter is, though, we need to have that to work forward and go forward for the things of God. The Ephraimites are that picture of that type of Christian. One day, uh, there was a quote I read about D.L. Moody. He was approached by a man who said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you preach the gospel. Mr. Moody was willing to learn and improve all the time. He asked the man what method he used to win people to Christ. And the guy said, I don't have one, said the man. And Mr. Moody said to him, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't. And you know what? There's a lot of people that will criticize the way that we serve the Lord, but they're not willing to serve him themselves. Mr. Moody told that man, he said, listen, I'd rather have the bad way that I reach out to people than having no way of reaching out to people. He said, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. And the fact of the matter is, there's always going to be critics in a church. There's going to be critical people. There's going to be people that it, it, it just gives them joy to find fault in the church. And let me explain something to you. Everywhere you look, you're going to find fault in the church. You know why? Because it's made up of people. Made up of people. If you're looking for a perfect choice, church, don't join it. Because you'll mess it up. Because we're flesh, aren't we? we we're not going to find a perfect church. But you know what we need? We need laborers. 
We need laborers. People that are willing to uh, have enough faith to see mountains moved. People that are willing just to step out by faith and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to use me. I don't know what I can do for you. But Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it is that you want me to do. See, Jephthah and them were fighting these battles and they were going on. They had the enemy raging up against them and they called for help from their brothers. From their supposed to be co-laborers. But nobody was willing to help them. And then once the battle was won and God gave the victory, here comes Ephraim with their selfishness and their pride and their discontentment. And they wanted more of something that they didn't deserve to have in the first place. You know, one of the greatest needs in the church today is to have a godly believers who lead by example, who will give some encouragement and edification to others. When the battle's being fought, you understand we have people in our church that are fighting battles. We have people in our church that are going through struggles. We have people in our church that need their brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside them and help them in the battle and fight the battle and then not to be critical whenever God blesses them and not to be critical whenever you see a victory that's done. Say, well, uh, you know, uh, just, they're just super spiritual, I guess. See, the fact of the matter is God wants to bless us. God wants to bless us. But God doesn't throw his blessings out. God pours his blessings out. And if you're not walking beside him, that blessing's not going to fall on your head. You've got to be close to the Lord. Ephraim demonstrates that when you feel left out, insulting others, and being jealous, that that's not the right response to do. That's not how we're supposed to do it. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, he said, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. We're good at using those verses as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, but guess what? If we're going to grow according to the Bible, we've got to get rid of some junk out of our life. We've got to get rid of some things. He says this, lay aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Listen, we don't have to be jealous of the church down the road that has more people than we do, that might have a better facility than we do. We don't have to look back there and say, I can't believe God would bless them and not us. We ought to praise God that there was a work going on for, them, for Christ. We ought to praise God that, that he blesses people that are serving the Lord. We ought to praise the Lord for that. What a rejoice in the fact that there's more independent Baptist churches in Martinsburg, West Virginia than just Faith Baptist Church. You know what, that, that encourages me that there's more people to do the work to see more people saved. And we all get excited about that. Listen, not everybody will be here at Faith Baptist Church. You understand that. No, even if, if the whole city got saved, guess what, they're all, not all going to come to Faith Baptist Church. We have co-laborers and brothers in Christ and all those doing the work of the Lord all around us, not just in West Virginia, but in all the different states of our, of our country and all across the world. And we ought to rejoice in the fact that God's using other people to get the work done, not criticize and be jealous over the work that they're doing. As long as they're standing on truth and as long as they're doing right, we ought to rejoice when God blesses them. We ought to rejoice and we ought to be there to help them. In any way that we can. If they call for help, guess what? We ought to be there to help. Why? Because just because we attend a different church, we're still part of the family of God. And we ought to be there to help them along the way. These arrogant Edomites, they condemn, they criticize, they threaten. So what will Jephthah do? What's he going to do through all this? He doesn't take the complaining from these people. He rebukes them. He tells them that when we fought against the Ammonites, you weren't there. We called you to battle and you didn't come. You weren't there when we needed you. Ephraim, basically, I know it's football season. They were the ones that fumbled the football. They didn't get the pass when they handed it off to them. They said, we need your help. No, they just dropped it. They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't go forward and do the things. They had more, if anyone had a reason to complain, it was Jephthah. If anybody had a reason to be upset, it would have been Jephthah. He said, you weren't responsible, basically, is what he told them. And then Ephraim protest, and their protesting was a hypocritical thing, and uh, their opportun opportunity for battle was there, but they didn't want to fight it. 
They didn't want to fight it. Now, I want to ask this question. Do you think the Lord feels that way about you? The way that Jephthah felt about Ephraim? That the Lord called, but you didn't come? The Lord says, I need laborers. But we say, Lord, send them. He sought for a man among them that would make up the hedge and stand in the gap. But they found none. And I wonder if the Lord, when he looks at us, does he look at us as Ephraim looks? Because we're not doing our responsibility according to the Bible. He calls and he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm kind of building a foundation. But the fact of the matter is this. If God calls, will you listen? If God calls, will you answer the call? If God tells you, hey, I want you to be a missionary, will you go and just step out by faith and do what God says to do? If God tells you he wants you to be a preacher, will you do that? If God tells you he wants you to just serve him in some kind of capacity, will you do it? If God calls, are you going to be the one that listens, or will God have to say you didn't come? Are you responsible? Can God depend on you? So I'm going to give you some qualifications of a responsible person a responsible person is one that uses all his energy to fulfill the expectations of those who are counting on him you say what's that mean that means what's over their hand find it to do they do it with their might as under the lord that's what somebody who's responsible does somebody who's responsible is going to use all their energies to fulfill the expectations of the lord When God tells us to do it, we're not just going to do it half-heartedly. A responsible person is going to use all of their energy to get the work of God accomplished. And they're not going to leave it halfway done. They're going to complete the task to the finish. They're going to do it to the end. And then they're going to realize the importance of the task, and they're not going to be apathetic about it. They're going to realize this is an important assignment that God has given me, and I'm going to do it the best that I can completely all the way to the end till God says you're finished. And that's what somebody who's responsible does. So what are some of our responsibilities as a believer in Christ? What are some of our responsibilities as a Christian? Matthew 28. You probably know the verse, but I want you to look at it. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19, and verse number 20. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. In Mark 16, 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. You know what our responsibility as a believer in Christ is? Is to preach the gospel to all nations. All people. No matter who they are. No matter where they come from. Whether you like them or not. It's our job to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all nations. He didn't uh, put different uh, specifications or qualifications on the type of people that we're supposed to talk to. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Preacher, why do we send missionaries out? Because he said, preach to all nations. Why do we have soul winning time? And why do we go out and try to witness to people? Because he said, go to all nations. Why do we have people that'll, man, they'll get excited about a fellowship that we have, but they won't get excited about winning people to Christ. I'll tell you why they have the Ephraim mentality. The fact of the matter is God has given us a responsibility and that responsibility first and foremost is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And anybody who walks in the doors of Faith Baptist Church ought to not leave here without having to make a conscious choice that they had an opportunity to trust Jesus as their Savior. And if they walk out lost, it's not because we didn't preach the gospel, it's because they chose to reject the gospel. When they come here, they ought to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. See, God has given us a responsibility. 
And I wonder, are you answering that call that God said? Listen, that was not just for the preachers. That's not just for uh, the, the deacons of the church or those Sunday school teachers of the church. That's for all of God's children. He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. It's our job to do that. It's our job to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When's the last time that you got a burdened heart for the lost people? When's the last time that you had a weeping spirit and a weeping heart for lost souls and you wanted to give them the gospel? The Bible says, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You know what? I, I'm, I'm about having a good time. I'm about fellowships. I'm about playing softball. I'm about doing all those things, playing basketball and different sports. But listen, we ought to not focus more on those things than preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to people. It's our job to give the gospel. That's one of our responsibilities. God tells us to go. First two letters of the gospel is go. The Bible says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. You know what? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to give the gospel. We're supposed to preach the gospel. Listen, don't, don't try to make excuses that, oh, preacher, you don't understand. I'm not good at talking to people. Listen, everybody that I hear say that has no problem usually talking to people about things you're comfortable talking about. Things that you know we don't have difficulties talking about. But you know what? That's why we put these little things together that have the gospel on the back of them. You know what you can do? You can walk up to somebody and you can say, hey, my name's Dan Caldwell. I want to give you this and invite you to church sometime. On the back tells you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And you know what? What they do with it at that point's up to them. And if they allow you to continue to talk, you can say, hey, can I share with you what the Bible says? How you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven? And if they say no, you know what I always like to do? Say, man, guess what? You're missing out. I just realized one day I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I realized that without Jesus, there's no way I could go to heaven. I realized that my own, my own works weren't going to get me there because it said not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. And there was a day I realized that I called upon the Lord by faith, believed him as my Savior. And guess what he said? I would say, guess what they just got? The gospel. The gospel. Just by giving them my testimony of how I got saved. But you know what? We can make excuses all day long for why we don't do it, but that is God's given responsibility of every one of us that are believers in Christ is to give the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the responsibilities God gives us. Look at John chapter number 13. John chapter number 13. I have a question for you. If we're going to present our bodies a living sacrifice, if you remember back to the book of 1 Samuel when God told King Saul to do something, he didn't do it. And the prophet Samuel spoke to him. He said something about something was better than sacrifice. Do you remember what that is? To obey. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? That means when God gives a command, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do it. We're supposed to obey, right? So look what the Bible says in John 13. John chapter number 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So wait a second. Not only are we to preach the gospel, you know what we're to do? We're to love one another. We're to love one another. And not the way that we think we ought to love them. We're to love them the way he loved them. You know what that means? Even if you don't like somebody, you're supposed to love them. Even if you don't, ha maybe you guys don't have the same kind of uh, desires. Maybe you don't, you're not compatible in the way as far as, uh, you know, your personalities and things. But guess what? If you're a brother and sister in Christ, you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to love one another. You're supposed to love one another. As God loved them, as Christ loved them. He said, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. So let me ask you this. How does God love us? How does God love us? That he's willing to give of himself for us. 
So you know what that means? That means we ought to be willing to give of ourselves for others. We ought to be willing to give of ourselves for others. That we love one another as He has loved us. That's how we're supposed to love. Our commandment, to preach the gospel. To love others as Christ has loved us. Let me ask you this. Do you love folks the way that God loves them? Or are you critical? Willing to criticize everything they do? Well, I just don't like them. Their personality. I don't like their personality. Get over it. Love them. Love them the way God loves them. See, preacher, that's not very nice. The fact of the matter is, you ought to love people as God loves you. And aren't you glad that God looks beyond our faults and sees our needs and that God loves us exactly the way we are? Because sometimes, just so you understand, Dan Caldwell's unlovable. I know my wife is shocked by that. But there's times that I'm unlovable. But you know what? She's supposed to love me the way God loves me. That even though I'm unlovable, it seems like we're supposed to love one another. And the fact of the matter is, there's going to come times where you're going to have strife, and you're going to have conflict, and you're going to have disagreements, but you still love one another through it. And you're willing to forgive one another, and you're willing to move on with your life. We ought to preach the gospel to all nations. We ought to love one another. In John 14, flip over one page, flip, John chapter number 14, and verse number 15. Remember, we're supposed to love, and God tells us this. If ye love me, keep my commandments. So hold on a second. Here's where we're going to do a spiritual mirror that we get to look at right now. Look at ourselves in this spiritual mirror. God tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God tells us to love one another even as Christ had loved us. God tells us to do that, and he says, but if you love me, keep my commandments. So let me ask you this. How's your love for God? How's your love for God? Are you keeping God's commandments? Because if you're not, you're not showing God that you love him. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That means you're going to be witnessing to people. You're going to be telling them about the Lord. You're going to be loving others as Christ loves. And we're going to talk about a couple other things that we're supposed to do, but these are all commandments that God gives us. And commandments are not optional if you feel like it. Commandments are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the master of our soul, the one who saved us by grace through faith, gives us an admonition and a, a, he, he admonishes us and he challenges us and he commands us to do these things. And if we don't do them... We're not proving to him that we love him. And there's people that say, oh, I love God. If I were to ask right now, if I were to say, raise your hand if you love God, every hand in this room would go up. So let me ask you this. Are your actions showing that you love him? Do you remember when the disciples uh, were asked the question, do you love me? And they said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. You know what he was saying is, don't just tell me you love me. Prove it that you love me. Show me. Let there be some evidence in your life that you love me. We're to keep God's commandments. That's one of our responsibilities. God calls you to preach the gospel. God calls you to love one another even as the Lord loved us. He tells us to keep his commandments. Let me ask you this. Are you a responsible one? Or are you one that can't, he can't depend on? That won't answer the call? When he calls you to himself. Look at 2 Timothy, if you would please. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. Very familiar verse to most of us. Bible says this, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I didn't see in here where it says, please will you study. I didn't see anywhere in here, brother guy, that it says, as long as it's okay with you, will you study my word? No, he says study. That's a 
declarative statement. He's, he's declaring something to you. He's saying, listen, study to show thyself approved unto God. He's giving us a command through that, and he tells us this, be a student of my word. Be a student of my word. I believe the reason that we don't give the gospel the way that we're supposed to and we don't love God the way that we're supposed to is because we lack in this area. We don't study the word of God. We don't study God's word. Oh, there's people that read God's word, but they don't study God's word. They'll read what some of the Bible says sometimes, but they don't study God's word. We need to be students of the Word of God. Why do we believe that salvation is by grace through faith, that it can't be our works can't get us to heaven? Why do we believe that? Because the Bible teaches that, not just in one area, but all throughout Scripture. It talks about the only way for us to get to heaven is for a sacrifice to be made and the blood to be shed and, uh, and faith in the Lord Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection. Why do we believe that salvation is eternal? Why do we believe that? Because He said it's everlasting life. They shall never perish. He talks about that. Study the word of God. He talks about how he keeps us. We're kept in the palm of his hand. In John 10, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know what he's saying is you're kept eternally secure through the word of God. Well, why is that hard for people to understand? Because they don't study. They don't study. Why, why is it hard for us to give and it shall be given? Why is it hard for us to understand that? Why is it difficult for us to understand the truths of the world? Why is it, why is it difficult for us to understand to be holy as I am holy? Why is it difficult? Why? Because we're not studying the Bible. We're not studying the Bible. He tells us to preach the gospel to all nations, to love one another, to keep the Lord's commandments, to study the Word of God. To study the Word of God. Let me ask you this, how do you do in, in studying the Word of God? When we say the word study, a lot of young people turn that off. I don't like the word study. And we can blame the young people, but we're just as guilty. We don't like to study either. We've got too much to do. We don't like to study. Studying's a bad word. We don't like that. But guess what? We need to study God's Word. Why? To be a student. It says to rightly divide the Word of truth. In order to get a clear, concise uh, answer from God's word, we need to study it. We need to study it. If I were to ask you by raise of hands, how many of you expect the pastor of Faith Baptist Church to study the Bible? Most hands would go up, wouldn't they? You ought to expect that. Why? Because I ought to be a student of the word of God. But this command was not just for preachers. This command was not just given to people that say they're called to preach. This command was given to anyone who is a believer in Christ, to study the Word of God, to be a student of God's Word. Listen, we ought to know more about God's Word than we know about the NFL. We ought to know more about God's Word than we know about some of these worldly singers. We ought to know more. Well, preacher, you don't understand. They're all on TV all the time. Well, maybe we ought to turn it off and get to know God more. I'm not saying that if you have a TV that you're ungodly. I'm not saying that at all. But if it has a control over your life and there's more time spent on worldly things than there is on godly things, then we have to get our priorities right. We can get in God's Word. Maybe we ought to turn some things off sometimes and just find God and get into God's Word and study His Word. It's a command, by the way. It's not just preacher's words. It's God's words. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God. Look at Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter number 19. Verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because he thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went out into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. 
As I was reading that, those words, occupied till I come, jumped off the page at me, and he was giving a parable in this passage of Scripture to teach us a very valuable lesson. Now listen, the Lord's coming back one day. He's given us stuff to do, and he says this, occupy till I come. You know what that doesn't mean? That doesn't mean just occupy some space until I get back. It doesn't mean just fill a pew until I get back. That's not what it means. It means that in the area that you are, in what you're doing, you need to be active and occupying that till I come. Your work's not done until I come back or until you close your eyes in death. That's when our work is done. He's just occupied till I come. That's one thing we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do the work God's called us to do. And when can we stop? When God tells us to do it. You understand there's no retirement plan in serving the Lord. There's no retirement plan. Oh, there may come a day, Brother Nick, in my life where physically I can't do what I do now. And I may end up physically retiring as far as this of being a full-time preacher. I hope not. I hope I can preach the Word of God till I close my eyes in death. But the fact of the matter is, there may come a day where I have to do that. But guess what? That doesn't mean I retire from the service of the Lord. That doesn't mean that I quit serving God in every capacity that I can. There's people in this room today that can't do what they've always done. They can't do everything that they used to do. But guess what? You can still do what you can do. You can still occupy till He comes and do what God wants you to do in the areas that you can do it. We have to occupy till He comes. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter number 10, and verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what else God wants us to do? One of our responsibilities come to church be in God's house and so much the more as we see the day approaching what day is that the coming of the Lord let me ask you this how many of you know when the Lord's coming back raise your hand of course you don't know right because no man knoweth the day or the hour when the son of man cometh that was a trick question for you kids wasn't it see no man knoweth the day or the hour when the son of man cometh. we don't know when the Lord's coming back it could be tonight it could be tomorrow it could be this, but you know what he says? Forsake not the assembling, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. And there's been people that have told me, "Do you guys really need service three days a week?" I said, "No, we need it seven. And they looked at me like, "What?" They were expecting me to say, "No, we really don't need it three days a week." You know, we we only need it really one. They say, "How much do we need church seven days a week?" Why? Because we fight a seven day battle. We need to come and have exhortation and be exalted and lifted up in the Word of God and encouraged to press on and go forward. I have a quote in the front of my Bible that says, Your absence from church is a vote to close the doors. The fact of the matter is, I wonder how often we really care. Now listen, I'm not saying if you have a job and your job requires you to work. Listen, you have to be a good testimony where you are. Be at church every opportunity that you can be here. But if you're physically able to be here, guess what? You ought to come. You ought to come. Why? Because when you don't, you know what you're saying? You're saying, God, I really don't need the message that you have. God, I really don't need the uh, exhortation and the admonishment of brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what, God? I got this on my own. I really don't need it. People say, well, preacher, I just, I just think that that's just a little bit too much church. Why don't you say that about work? That's just a little bit too much work. Well, you get paid for work, don't you? Wow, we'll do anything for money, won't we? We'll go to work. Why? Because we gain that extra money. What about the blessings in heaven and the treasures in heaven that we get to lay up treasures for? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, I found it kind of odd. I was speaking to my wife about this one day. And I said, you know, I just, I don't understand why people don't want to be at church. Because even when I'm not preaching in church, I want to be at church. If I go on vacation, I want to be at church. I don't take a vacation from God when I go on vacation. I want to be at church. So wherever we go on vacation, we try to find a church that we can attend. Why? Because he says not to forsake it, to join together. And just because I'm in a different state going on vacation doesn't mean those people have cooties. It doesn't mean that if I walk in, they're going to rub off on me. 
I don't care if they're north, south, east, or west. If they're bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we ought to rejoice that they're going to church and excited about that. We ought to come and, and, and encourage them and be there for them. He said not to forsake it. Listen, we ought to be at church whenever we can physically be at church. I understand sometimes as, as people get older and things, they have difficulties driving at night and uh, other things like that. I understand that. But let's not allow our physical inabilities to make excuses for not attending the house of God. Because guess what? We have a bus. And we'll run that bus Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We'll run it Thursday night. We'll run it whatever night we have church. We have a revival meeting. We'll run a bus. Why? So people can be here. We can use the excuse all day. Well, I can't see at night. Well, you can pick up a phone and call and say, hey, I want to be at church. And guess what? We'll make sure somebody comes and gets you. We'll make sure somebody comes and gets you so you can be at church. The fact is, God tells us to be here. Why is it that, man, the church can be full on Sunday morning, but Sunday night it gets smaller. And then even Wednesday night's even smaller than that. Why? Because we think, oh, Sunday morning is just what we're supposed to do. We've been in this religious ritual that Sunday morning is we're supposed to be at church, but the rest of the week is for us. Listen, we need, I don't know about you, but Satan tries to get me down, brother guy, every day of my life. He doesn't just fight me on Sunday mornings. He fights me Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. He fights me. He, he even doesn't give me a break on leap year. That extra day of the year, he still fights me that day. You know what? I have to get into God's word. I have to meditate upon it. I wonder if we were to say, hey, we're having church Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. We'd say, well, preacher, you're just getting a little overboard there. We're just going a little overboard. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to have church all week this week, okay? But the fact is, if we did, would you desire to be here? We have a revival meeting that comes up on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, are you going to make excuses why not to come? Well, because we just, that's just too much church. Our kids got too much to do. They got school. Listen, they're going to play video games all night anyway. You might as well bring them to church. People say, oh, they don't do that, really. Let's just be serious about it. They're going to be on their phones or playing video games or doing something like that in the middle of the night. Most of the time, not all of them, but most of the times, that's what they are. When I teach those kids in, in school, high school Bible class there, I, I see kids sitting there like, in the morning, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and they're sitting there like, I said, what, what are you so tired for? I didn't go to bed till 3. Why didn't you go to bed till 3? I, was, I mean, I was playing Fortnite. I was playing this video game till 3 o'clock in the morning. I was like, dude, grow up. Go to bed. Why? Because you got things to do. Go to sleep. You know what? We, we can make excuses all day long. But if we genuinely love God, we're going to obey his commandments. We're going to do what he tells us to do. And people can get all upset at me all they want to. But unless I'm sick and can't make it here, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to be at church. Now, if we have icy conditions, there's time we may cancel. If there's snow on the ground, I don't want people putting their lives in jeopardy to come here. But listen, when you, if you're sitting at home, don't, don't use, well, uh, I just can't come because I just... Uh, I have a sniffle. Now, listen, I understand sickness is going around. I understand that. But if you're not, like, contagious, come to church. Come to church. Just don't shake people's hands. Give them an elbow. You know, I appreciate Brother Scott. They weren't feeling well. I came up to him shake his hand. He goes, Preacher, I ain't going to shake your hand, but I'll, I'll do this because I don't want to pass the, the, the... I appreciate that. I don't want you to share, okay? That's good. I don't want to get sick. But the fact is, you ought to be at church. Desire to be here. You ought to desire to be here. Why? Because God commands us to come. God commands us to come. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So let me ask you this. Are you responsible? Can God depend on you? Oh, there's other things we could talk about. I didn't mention tithing. I could have. Why? Because he commands us to do it. He commands us to give. 10% of all thine increase, he says. To bring it into the storehouse. He doesn't just say send it to the storehouse. He says bring it to the storehouse. Why? Why does he tell us to give? Why does God want, God doesn't need our money. Why does he want 10%? You understand something? It's not our money. We get confused when we say that. We say God doesn't need our money. So why does he ask us to give 10%? What he's saying is you have 100% of mine. 
because it all belongs to God. And he's saying, I want you to give 10% back to me because I want to show you some miracles that I can make your 90% go farther than your 100%. God wants us just to be faithful. Wants us to be faithful in those areas. Give, and it shall be given. He loveth a cheerful giver, not a... Okay, I did it. I did it. And then we say, oh, Brother Jeff, don't take it. Can I make change? We laugh about that. I had somebody try to make change one time in the offering. Listen, if you're too cheap to give God 20 bucks, I mean, come on, you don't need to make change and get $5 back. God will bless you for it. Just give it. Okay? Just give it. God will bless. You say, well, I didn't have change when I came to church. Don't worry about it. God will work it out. Okay? God will work it out. Just give. Why? He commands us to do so. These aren't things, well, why does that preacher always want us to do this? That preacher always wants to do that. It's not the preacher. It's God's word. God's word says it. And that settles it, period. It's done. Why? Just obey. Just obey. Are we going to be like Ephraim? God calls us to do these things. And we don't come. And when the blessings of God come down, man, we're going to be critical. We're going to be uh, contrary. We're going to want to fight. We're going to be contentious about it. I mean, are we just going to get involved and jump in and get in the battle and just enjoy the ride that God has for us? You know what? It's not going to be smooth sailing, I'll tell you that, serving the Lord. It's not. Why? Because it's in a battle. I've never seen anybody, if you were to ask Brother Chip or any of these men that have been in battle, they're not going to say, wow, it was fun. I mean, there's some things they might have enjoyed uh, as far as learning in the military and things, but they're not going to say, wow, it was a blast to have my life put on the line. It was a blast to watch that mortar round go off right next to me. It was a blast. Yeah, it was a blast. But it's not something they were looking forward to. You know what? There's going to be times in our Christian life, there's things that happen that we're not looking forward to. But you know what we need to do? Just keep on going. Keep pressing on for God. Keep obeying. And the blessings of God will flow. The blessings of God will come down. And we just need to follow Him and do what He tells us to do. Are you a responsible believer? What are some of our responsibilities? We talked about it tonight. Are you doing them? Are you obeying? Are you doing what God wants you to do?